0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, Nats fans, welcome to the second homestand and one of the longest homestands of the season. Walters is a great spot to meet up with friends and grab a bite to eat before any Nats game.
1: This week, Walters has added pulled pork croquettes to the menu. A great appetizer to share with friends
2: over a bucket of old-time lager. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. New tonight, we are learning more about a false alarm at the U.S. Capitol. The massive complex was evacuated after police saw an aircraft that they thought posed a probable threat. Turns out it was a plane carrying members of the U.S. Army Golden Knights. They were parachuting into Nationals Park, the Major League Baseball Stadium, for a pregame demonstration.
3: Escobar again sneaking in behind, not as close to the bag. The 2-2 pitch. swinging a blast to right center field. This is trouble. Soto back. It's over his head. And this one is... Gone. It just clears and trickles back down below over the American League out-of-town scoreboard. A line drive, two-run homer for Dalton Varsho, and it gives the Diamondbacks a six-nothing lead. As Murphy sets and delivers, swinging a tapper up the first-base line, fielded by Franco. He'll take it to the bag himself for the unassisted putout. As Alcantara comes in to score from third with the third run of the inning, and it's now Arizona 11, and the Nationals nothing.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, April 21st, 2022, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Don't worry, we have alerted the U.S. Capitol Police that we are doing this podcast, so hopefully the U.S. Capitol is not about to be needlessly evacuated. A strange night, a bizarre night, and ultimately a bad night for the Nationals on Wednesday night. They fell to 6-8 and eight with an 11 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park in Game 3 of a four-game series. Eric Fetty got rocked. Sean Doolittle now is on the 10-day injured list. Josh Bell may soon be joining Do on the 10-day IL. And yeah, the U.S. Capitol was evacuated on Wednesday evening due to something that happened at Nationals Park. Nationals Park, prior to the game, hosted a stunt on which members of the U.S. Army Golden Knights parachuted into Nationals Park. The U.S. Capitol Police, for whatever reason, didn't know about the stunt. And so the U.S. Capitol actually was briefly evacuated after Capitol Police identified an aircraft that they said posed, quote, a probable threat end quote. Uh, Why the U.S. Capitol Police did not know about the threat, we do not yet know. Mark, have you been questioned by Congress or not yet? Uh,
1: I have to plead the fifth on this, uh, (laughs) uh, Al. I I can't comment until I've spoken to my lawyers and make sure that I'm cleared of any potential uh, wrongdoing here. Talk about a weird thing. You know, we're all watching the parachuters come down and we're thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. I've I've seen them do it once or twice before. It's kind of a neat little show. There weren't a lot of fans here. It was unfortunately the wrong night to do this because it wasn't a great crowd or anything like that. And then like almost instantaneously, we're seeing reports of what's going on at the Capitol and you have like a moment of panic. And then I even thought to myself, I wonder if they mistakenly thought that that army plane that was sending the parachuters down was actually the cause of the problem. And I was like, now, nah, okay, can't be that. And then sure enough, it was that. So a um, pretty egregious lack of communication between the various departments and organizations that uh, need to be on top of these kinds of things. And look, thankfully, I know people were scared, but thankfully it wasn't anything to actually be scared about. Everybody's fine. But, you know, it does make you worry about when something actually does happen, what might
0: happen there. Well, the blame game already has begun. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has blasted the Federal Aviation Administration for apparently failing to notify Capitol Police of the pre-planned flyover. So we have Congress investigating the football team in Washington, D.C. We may soon have Congress investigating an incident at least related to the baseball team in D.C., although the Nationals seemingly are not to blame for what happened here. But whatever the case, uh, what happened during the game on Wednesday night was certainly not good. So much for the Nats' great pitching in the doubleheader sweep on Tuesday. 11 to the final to the lowly Diamondbacks. And that does need to be emphasized. Arizona is one of the worst hitting teams in baseball so far this year. And that's now 6-8 and eight on the season. And this was a rough night for Eric Fetty. You know, Fetty had been solid in each of his first two starts of the season, but he was not good on Wednesday night. Seven runs, six earned in three and to third innings, he gave up eight hits, a homer, a double, and six singles, issued a walk, recorded three strikeouts. He threw an astounding 80 pitches over his three and to third innings. And, you know, with Fetty Mark, there really has been this Jekyll and Hyde nature to him in his career. We certainly saw it last year, the great beginning to his season, and then just him unraveling as the season went on. And, you know, sort of a microcosm of that so far this year. Like I said, actually pretty solid over his first two starts, but man. He got rocked on Wednesday night and he got roughed up by, like I said, one of the poor hitting teams in baseball.
1: So the Diamondbacks, through their first 11 games, scored 22 runs this year. And in this, their 12th game, they scored 11 runs. So I believe that is a 150 percent increase in their season total, thanks to one night. And unfortunately, this is when Fetty's been bad. This has been the problem. He can't put guys away. He gets two strikes. He has a chance to end the at bat, and he can't do it. And this might have been the most egregious example of it yet. Like you said, eighty pitches in three and a third innings. They fouled off twenty of those eighty pitches. That's a lot. The worst of it all was an eleven pitch at bat to Dalton Varsho that ended in a home run. So, you know, on the one hand, you say, "Okay, what could he have done differently? Could he have just commanded a little better, done something to put away the hitters? The other hand, at some point, you just have to say, hey, props to them for fouling off all those pitches and making them work like that. You know, he threw everything he had at them and it wasn't enough on this night.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the inability to put batters away. The Varsho homer is a great example of that. Another example of that came in the top of the second, Fetty in that inning giving up an unearned run. Fetty followed a throwing error by Alcides Escobar by giving up a single to Seth Beer and then issuing a 10 pitch walk of Paven Smith, despite Smith having been down in the count at 1.02. So he had Smith down oh two, 2, ends up issuing a 10 pitch walk. Fetty had Varsho down oh two, 2, and on the 11 pitch of that plate appearance ends up giving up. That one out, two run homer to right field. I mean, two like egregious examples there. If you got someone down begging to be put away, and not only do you not put them away quickly, you end up giving up something that ends up coming back to bite you. Uh, Fetty gave up a lot of contact on Wednesday night, I and mean, it was not good. You know, this, you can't dress this up, okay? Seven runs, six earned in three into third innings. But I mentioned the unearned run in the top of the second inning. And I know that you asked Davey Martinez about this during Davey's postgame presser, but throwing air by Alcides Escobar.
3: Now Fetty starts his windup. Here's the 2-2 on the way. Breaking ball pulled to the ground left side. Through Franco to the shortstop. Escobar
0: has to bounce the throw and it gets by Bell. There was a lot happening on this play that really wasn't good. So It seemed to be another one of these defensive miscommunications because on the play, so it's a grounder by Kristen Walker. Michael Franco crosses in front of Escobar. I don't know if Escobar called off Franco. I don't know if Escobar thought Franco was getting the ball, but Franco ended up not getting the ball. Escobar did. Then Escobar makes a throw to Josh Bell that was semi-catchable. And Bell ended up whiffing on the backhanded catch of what would have been a, a one-hop throw. I mean, it wasn't a good throw. It also was a at least somewhat catchable throw. Ends up going down as a throwing error by Escobar. But what you make of, of that play?
1: I make of it what we've already seen happen too many times in the last week. There's miscommunication going on among their infielders. And I don't know why that's the case. And I don't think Davey necessarily knows why that's the case. These are veteran infielders like we've talked about and why they should be having so much trouble with this. I don't know, but it is a problem. It is something that should not be happening and it's leading to some pretty costly mistakes for them. So that's got to get cleaned up here. Now, I mean, again, I don't know. It seemed to me that Franco could have just gotten that ball. Typically, if you say, okay, a third baseman cutting in front of a shortstop, you do that because you're going to cut off the ball. You can get to it quicker. You're now moving towards first base. It's an easier throw for you than the shortstop who's kind of going the opposite direction. I have to plant your back foot and make the throw. So maybe Franco thought he could make the play and then he just didn't get there. Maybe Escobar called him off. I'm not sure. Whatever the case, this stuff's happening way too much. I know they're shifting around a lot, so that sort of changes the alignment, but they need to be on the same page. They cannot afford to give away outs like that, and if it's young guys making the mistake, you sort of excuse it a little bit, but these are all veterans. There's no reason for that to happen so much.
0: No, and you know, specific to Escobar, he hasn't hit much this season. Now, he's hit a little bit more lately. But, you know, you think about the bigger picture, right? Nat's rebuilding. You know, they do have these older players they're going with. They chose to demote Luis Garcia weeks ago. Oh, by the way, Luis Garcia just recently got named International League Player of the Week. Now, I know that his defense has been up and down, but the hitting seems to be there. And so you say to yourself, all right, well, if Voslides Escobar isn't really hitting all that much, and the defense has been questionable here lately, I know maybe they don't see Luis as a shortstop at the Major League level, but Like, why not we have Luis be making these mistakes at the major league level and at least, you know, allow him to sort of grow that way instead of just sort of wasting time here with 30-something infielders who aren't really going to be doing anything for you in the bigger picture. You know, I'm not saying you got to promote Garcia now, but at some point, I think you're going to have to start to think about this. This is not like one or two games here that we're seeing this. The defense, which interestingly was quite good early in the season, has become a problem here over the last, you know, week or so. And You know, you're not really here to develop all C.D.'s Escobar or even a Michael Franco. So, I don't know. I'm kind of saying to myself, this keeps up. Why not promote a Luis Garcia at some point here? If it keeps up,
1: yeah. Uh, Certainly, it's trending more in that direction. Now, it's going to require Garcia to continue to do well at AAA. And also, not just at the plate, but in the field. He had four errors in his first 10 games there. That's a problem. Now, you could say, well, it's not like Escobar's been great in the field. So, certainly. But I think they want to feel like they're comfortable with Garcia as a shortstop, which has always been a little bit of a question. But if he keeps hitting and if Escobar continues to struggle, yeah, we're going to reach a point here where they probably have to consider doing something like that. And I don't know if they're going to feel like loyalty to Alcides Escobar or think, well, he has to remain our everyday shortstop. That's not part of the long-term plan at all. So I think it has more to do with how Garcia is playing at AAA. So far, so good on the hitting front. We'll see how he does on the fielding front. But. It has not been good. Escobar has really not contributed a lot offensively or defensively. And when you have a veteran player like that, you do reach a certain point that you say, we're not accomplishing a lot here. If we have a better and younger alternative, we start looking at that.
0: Hey, guys, it's Al Goldie for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need and make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Just call 866-90-NATION or visit Window Nation. Dot com. As you surely know, we have been having very up and down temperatures lately. With up and down temperatures, it's difficult to stay comfortable in your home with old drafty windows. The longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you waste on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. Buy two windows, get two free, pay nothing for two years. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Save thousands. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. And tell Window Nation that Al Goldie sent you.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: at this point we're just gonna see what 10 days 12 days will do and then uh, we'll, we'll know more by then but um as you know i know sean um, talks talks a lot to you guys at this point we're just gonna you know one we're definitely gonna be cautious and two we'll see how the next 10 12 days will play out i mean hopefully the inflammation will go down and um he feels better and then we'll go from there
0: Wednesday was not a good day for the Nationals on the injury front. We got bad news prior to the game. Sean Doolittle now is on the 10-day injured list. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday afternoon announced four roster moves. The most prominent of them was the placement of Sean Doolittle on the 10-day injured list with a left elbow sprain. And obviously, anytime a pitcher goes on an injured list with an elbow ailment, that's concerning, especially a guy like Doolittle who was in his mid-30s, who has had velocity issues in the past, although the velocity, for the most part this season, had been a lot better, although in his last outing, the velocity did tick down. We'll see what his status ends up being, but man, this is such a shame. I mean, Doolittle had been so good so far this season. Six games, five and a third, scoreless and walkless innings, six strikeouts. He had retired 16 of the 17 batters he had faced. I know that you guys got a chance to talk to him. I would imagine he's down over this any sense on if this is a serious ailment or not.
1: So he got an MRI uh, in between games, doubleheader on Tuesday and got the results by the end of the night. So remember, Al, we talked about the long wait for Davey Martinez, over 30 minutes and we said, historically that usually means something's going on. They didn't reveal it that night, but you and I said check back on Wednesday because perhaps we will find out there was something going on. Well, guess what? There was something going on. Davey and Sean were talking in his office for quite a while about this, which tells you how concerned everybody is. Anytime you hear sprained elbow for anybody, it's a, a concern, certainly, when it's somebody as important as Sean Doolittle. So he is trying to remain cautiously optimistic here. The initial take from the doctors is 10 days to rehab this and then start to try to throw and, and see how that goes, essentially. So... In the same time, Sean's acknowledging that anytime this happens, of course, your mind goes to surgery. It's a sprained ligament in your elbow. We know what that can be. A sprain is, by definition, a tear. There are different degrees of it, and a small one does not necessarily need surgery. A major one does need surgery. So, of course, in his mind, he knows that that's one of the potential outcomes of all this, but the sense that he's gotten so far is that that's not where they are right now, that there is a path to try to do this through rehab, potentially even fairly quickly. Test it out after uh, uh, 10 days, two weeks, see how it goes, and then make the decisions from there. They are going to send the MRIs to some other doctors, so there could be a second opinion that comes in with a different take on the whole situation. But I would say he's kind of cautiously holding out hope here that it's not the worst case scenario and that it might be better than that. But of course we all have to hold our breaths on that. And until you actually see him throwing and not in pain, you do have to worry that it could be something far more serious.
0: Yeah. And, you know, even if it isn't, I mean, we all know the history of Doolittle with the Nats, which is, you know, you're tempted to use him a lot because he can be so good. Well, here you are now. He's thrown five into third innings and already the body is starting to hurt. So even if he doesn't undergo surgery, he comes back. You know, to what extent is Davey Martinez going to be handcuffed in his usage of Sean Doolittle, who, again, has been excellent so far this season? Uh, he's in his age 35 season. We're certainly rooting for the best, hoping for the best would do little. The Nats' other three roster moves on Wednesday afternoon were recalling lefty reliever Sam Clay and Francisco Perez from AAA Rochester and optioning outfielder Donovan Casey to AAA Rochester. Casey was up for like a week, ended up never getting into a game for the Nats, which was kind of odd. Well, unfortunately, the bullpen ended up being leaned on quite a bit on Wednesday night. Davey was back to using five relievers in a game, uh, and this was the B, if not C, bullpen. Uh, Francisco Perez, Sam Clay, Andres Machado, Hunter Harvey, and Paulo Espino, who is like barely pitching these days. Uh, Espino pitched on Wednesday night. Perez and Murphy combined to give up four runs, two earned in one and two-thirds innings. What's funny is that the bullpen, then was actually quite good the rest of the game. Clay, perfect top of the sixth on just six pitches. Uh, Machado, perfect top of the seventh. Harvey, scoreless top of the eighth. Paulo perfect top of the ninth. Did you think Clay might throw more than an inning given that he threw just the six pitches in that sixth inning?
1: I think anytime you're in this sort of situation, you're saying, hey, can we get length from anyone in there? Yeah, but I think also it's his first appearance in the big leagues this year. We know that you know, every day they potentially need some of these guys to come back. So I'm not surprised. I think what you also saw there is once the game was out of hand, a lot of first pitch swinging, a lot of quick outs on both sides of the equation, and a game that you know, frankly could have taken three and a half hours or more, was finished in 312 because the last couple of innings went by very quickly so with Paolo, like you said he hasn't pitched a lot some of this is them anticipating now they need a spot starter this weekend against the giants this is the result of the doubleheader they decided not to use the extra pitcher for the doubleheader and pitch both josiah gray and yoana don in that game knowing that they would then need to fill that spot later in the week when they have their sixth game in five days by pitching one inning here, Davey is essentially saying that's the equivalent of like a bullpen session for a starter several days beforehand. So it certainly reads to me like that is their intention if everything goes all right the next few days and to have Palo make that start uh, on Saturday against the Giants. If though something comes up between now and then and they have to use him out of the bullpen, then they look at some other options. And one thing to just keep an eye on, I don't have hard info on this or anything, but it's notable and props to Tim Shover's for picking up on this. Cade Cavalli has not pitched in about six days for Rochester. I don't have any reason to believe there's any injury there. So this may be a case of them saying to Rochester, hold off on Cavalli because there's a chance if we were to need him, we'd want him to be available. I don't think that's their plan A, but you always have to have a plan B just in case something else goes wrong.
0: Yeah, for what it's worth, Cade Cavalli over two starts for Rochester this season. Eight runs in eight innings. He's given up 12 hits and two walks. So, I mean, it's a small sample, but he hasn't been, you know, dominant for Rochester uh, so far this year. But yeah, it is looking like the secret weapon will be deployed uh, this coming Saturday against San Francisco. Uh, As for the Nats hitting on Wednesday night, uh, another game in which the Nats bats just don't do much, just two runs. Uh, The Nats did have nine hits, but... The Nats worked just one walk, struck out 11 times. This was another homerless game for the Nats. Understand, the Nats have played 14 games this season. The Nats have totaled seven home runs this season. And I know, home runs are down across Major League Baseball. It's been an interesting development so far this year. A lot of teams aren't hitting. But even if you look at the Nats' numbers relative to the rest of baseball, the offensive numbers aren't good. And man, that seven home run total does stand out uh one guy who has been hitting for the Nats so far this season is Josh Bell and now he may be injured uh Bell on Wednesday night had a double uh he then left the game due to an ailing left knee now things got kind of funky for Josh in the bottom of the second Lead off opposite field double to the left center field gap but he then got thrown out by like a mile at home here's the pitch
3: Half swing and a roller up the third base
0: line. Bell breaks for the plate. Throw to the plate. He stops. Tries to avoid the catcher, Kelly, but cannot. And he is tagged out. Bell has been thrown out on the base paths quite a few times here in recent weeks. But this left knee situation for Bell, this is a big deal. Uh, what do we know about that?
1: So he's saying that it. We all thought maybe it happened on that play because he had to sort of awkwardly pull up and try to get into a rundown and thought maybe that's where he tweaked something. But he said it wasn't any one particular moment. Uh, it was about an inning later that he felt tight on him. And so he told them they took him out of the game. Now, wouldn't be shocking if running the bases was something that precipitated it, at least. He's getting an MRI on... Thursday morning, they'll see how that goes and decide if he can play on Thursday. He seemed pretty optimistic that it isn't anything all that serious. He didn't seem all that worried about it. Now, again, let's see. You sleep on it. You wake up the next morning. Things can change. Maybe the MRI shows something, but uh, he wasn't terribly concerned. I think felt like it was more of a eh, my knees tight on me. Let's get you know a quick pull out of this game. Let's not take any chances on that. As far as that base running play though, I asked him about it, and he said when you are on third, and the infield is playing halfway. There's a chopper to third. The play there is to run. And you know there's a chance you're going to be thrown out. If it's a hard ground ball, you freeze and you kind of see what happens. But on a chopper like that, you do go ahead and run. But he said he could hear the footsteps behind him like he knew what was about to happen. But his feeling on that was... That's not really an option for him to hold up there. You do take the chance to score. Uh, It didn't work out for him, obviously, and it cost them a chance at a run. And hopefully that isn't the reason that he got hurt.
0: Yeah, and him being out for really any extended period of time would be bad news. I mean, Bell has hit 977 OPS for him over 14 games this season. It's interesting. Bell leaves the game and Davey moved Michael Franco to first base. We didn't have to ask this question last season because of Ryan Zimmerman, but who is the backup first baseman? I mean, the temptation is to say Riley Adams, but Riley is in that Paolo Espino category right now. Riley barely plays these days. So who is the backup first baseman to Bell?
1: I think we saw him in this game. I think it's Michael Franco. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that they aren't planning to do a lot. They believe and hope that Josh Bell is going to play almost every day. And if something else happens, then you have Franco that can go there and put somebody else at third. Now, unfortunately, the only backup at third base at the moment was Lucius Fox, and that didn't go so well for him. It was a great story for Lucius in uh, his uh, debut, the bunt, exciting base running, all that stuff. Since then, he's kind of looked like he doesn't really make it as a big leaguer. Certainly in the field, it's been a bit of an issue for him. So, If Bell isn't able to play Thursday, if God forbid he has to go in the IL, they've got some issues there, and I don't know what exactly they're going to do. They're not putting Nelson Cruz at first. Davey pretty much said that's not happening. I think with Adams, it's still the case of he's done some work there. They want to do that in case of emergency kind of situation, but I don't know that they view that as really a viable thing to happen unless it was a case like this in game and we have no other choice but to put him there plus that now requires you to call up another catcher so that you do have a true backup catcher for caber ruiz so i don't think it's that what other moves do they have well maybe jake Knoll, who's no longer in the 40-man roster but plays both corner infield positions you know they're hurt here by a ray adrianza still being on the il uh they're hurt of course by carter keboom being on the il he's not back until june at the earliest. So their infield depth is actually going to be really tested here if Bell has to miss any time. And that's why I think they're all have their fingers crossed and hoping that this isn't anything serious and that he won't be missing any significant time.
0: Yeah, I'm a little perplexed why Riley Adams hasn't gotten more work at first base if, in fact, he hasn't in practice. I mean... This seemed like kind of an obvious thing to do. He hit well last year. You want to find opportunities for him to be in the lineup this season. And you do have a third catcher in the organization who seemed to do pretty well last year in Tress Barrera. So, you know, Riley could be your first baseman. Tress could be your backup catcher. You could keep Franco at third base. Instead, you have Franco at first. Now, like you said, you have this gaping hole at third. And you mentioned A. Ray Adrianza. What happened to his quad He suffered this left quad strain on March 31st in an exhibition game, and he started the season on the injured list, and that's it. I mean, he's going to end up missing like a month because of a quad strain in an exhibition game? I mean, is this worse than a quad strain? Like, what happened to this guy's leg?
1: So I was there when it happened, and it looked bad, and then I also saw him walking out of the clubhouse that night, and he was severely limping. It looked Like a bad injury I thought initially Before we heard what it was That it was Something lower Like a knee Or a hamstring So when you hear quad You don't normally think of it Being a long time But it was a pretty bad strain And I think we got duped A little bit By him trying to say To Davey That he might still be ready To start the season And clearly that wasn't the case He is jogging At this point On a Zero gravity treadmill But he is not running He's not doing any Baseball activities It's going to be a while For him. So, yeah, it was a significant injury, suffered there late in spring training. And if you're the Nationals, I don't think you should be planning on having him in there to help you out, you know, at least for several more weeks, if not longer than that.
0: You know, you think about the Nats and I've talked about them having all these older guys on the team. Adrianza missing a lot of time with the quad. This is his age 32 season. Anibal Sanchez is going to end up missing a month, if not more, because of a neck issue that popped up on a flight back, right? He's deep into his 30s. Doolittle, mid-30s, pitches five and a third innings, already out with an elbow problem. You know, this is the risk when you are in love with the older player. These guys get hurt more easily than younger guys. And younger guys can get hurt. I understand that. Mason Thompson's been out for a while with his injury. But, you know, this is one of the pitfalls of going with older guys that they can get hurt more easily. They can take longer to recover. And the Nats may be about to suffer some consequences because of that. We'll see. Adrianza was an intriguing guy, too. I mean, he's not a great hitter, but very versatile defensively, right? Can play short, third, second, the outfield. So that seemed to be a a smart pickup for the Nats in the offseason. But, maybe a while until we see him uh, a few bright spots for the nats on Wednesday night, uh, Juan Soto had a good night. Two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. Uh, Soto is having a good season. We don't always talk about it because it's kind of something you just come to accept. And, you know, he hasn't hit like a lot of home runs, but he, he is slugging 5'11". He does have a four fifty-two on base, so we should note that. Uh, the best hitter on the planet does continue to do well. I thought, though, the most important offensive development on Wednesday night was Cape Air Ruiz. Uh, he has been struggling. I thought he looked good at the plate. Two for four with a double. And an RBI single, some good contact. Bottom of the fourth, a one-out double to right field. And in the Nats, one run six. He had a two-out opposite field RBI single to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 11-1. You know, he's a promising guy. You know, I don't think anyone's going to say take him out of the lineup. He's not your everyday catcher or anything like that. But he is catching a lot. Like we said, Riley Adams isn't playing much and K. has had some rough offensive games lately. I thought he needed that on Wednesday night.
1: Yeah, he also hit a ball to the warning track in center field in his first at-bat, so good signs all around. Really nice opening series against the Mets where you start getting very excited about him and then has cooled off dramatically since then. Good sign here to have you know three really good quality at-bats, two of them resulting in hits. Let's see I think we could see Adams maybe on Thursday in the series finale, day game after night game. Remember, he also caught one of the two games in doubleheader and then caught Sunday's game in Pittsburgh. And I think it's his last three games that he has caught, the team has pitched very well. So not attributing that all to Riley Adams, but I think he's done a pretty good job behind the plate. That sort of dilemma of what is the long-term plan with him? I do think they still see him as a viable big league catcher. Maybe not as an everyday guy when you have a top prospect like Ruiz, but if anything ever happened to Ruiz, Adams would be the starter behind the plate. So I think there's a little hesitancy to say at this stage of his career, oh, we're going to try to make you into a first baseman, especially when you have an everyday first baseman in Bell. But when these situations arise, it does kind of create that domino effect. And now you say who's going to play where, what is ultimately best for everyone and for the team. And maybe he does get a chance at first. I mean, he he takes grounders there a lot. I've seen that. But as far as I know, it hasn't really been in the plans for anything other than an emergency situation. Maybe Josh Bell going to the IL would constitute an emergency, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone feels great about Michael Franco at first, you know. So I don't know. How bad could it be with Adams? I mean, I I know we shouldn't say that because it could always be really bad, but... um I'd like to see that. I'd like to see more Riley Adams. I thought thought he looked good uh, as last season went on. One other thing with the Nats hitting, Cesar Hernandez did not have a single extra base hit for the Nats until a few games ago. He now has a double in each of the Nats' last three games. Uh, So go figure that. But uh, Cesar on Wednesday night, one for five with a double. He in the Nats, one run seventh, a two out full count. Opposite field double down the left field line. Kind of a unique double. He like poked the baseball down the left field line and ended up getting a two base hit out of that. So nice piece of hitting.
1: Good to see him doing that. Good to see him getting on in front of Soto. You mentioned Soto having the good year so far, and I know you pay very close attention to these things. He only has three RBI, you know, 14 games in, and they're all on solo homers. So the whole notion of him hitting second, it only works if he gets to come up with guys on base and try to drive them in. So far, that has not been the case. Now, that may be more a reflection of Hernandez and then Robles as the number nine hitter not getting on in in front of Soto. The craziest stat of the year so far is that Robles actually has more RBI than Soto, 4-3. to
0: Which tells you everything you need to know about the RBI stat. Juan Soto has a 963 OPS. Robles has a 272 OPS.
1: But Robles has more RBI. You agree,
0: right? Yeah, I know. So what does that tell you about runs batted in? I think that tells you all you need to know. Victor, by the way, on Wednesday night, another 0 for, 0 for 4 with a couple of strikeouts, although another really nice defensive play. I mean, you got to give Robles' his due That Diamondbacks three-run third, terrific leaping backhanded catch.
3: Swing a high drive, straightaway center and deep. Robles racing back on the run to the warning track with a leap makes the catch and crashes into the fence, holding on. Tagging at third, coming in to score is Walker.
0: He does seem to be back to his great defensive self, but boy, the hitting. I mean, some recent good signs, yes, but overall, you know, Robles' batting average, speaking of wonderful stats, his batting average is 0.94. 0.094 is the Victor Roble's batting average so far this season.
1: But what's his on-base percentage, Al? That's all
0: that matters, right? Uh, That's also woeful. His OPS is 272. His OPS. Is that good? His (laughs) on-base plus his slugging is 272. I mean, those numbers are just terrific. So... We're rooting for Victor. We're rooting for him. Uh, all right, you tell us what you think. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers, uh, again, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Our new Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt is out. You can get yours by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. And remember, as an answer in the midst of this lengthy homestand, You wear your Nats Chat Pod t-shirt to Nats Park. Take a photo of yourself wearing the t-shirt. Send it to us either via email or tweet, and uh, we'll post it for you. We'll retweet it for you. So uh, we want to definitely encourage you guys to do that, and we appreciate you guys for buying the shirts and listening to the podcast. Uh, all nationals radio highlights on Natch Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Natch Chat podcast, and we will leave you with our latest voice memo regarding tales of first experiences at major league games. We continue to very much welcome these, and so we'll send you out with one from our guy Bob in Northern Virginia.
4: Hi, my name is Bob. I live in Northern Virginia. And I don't remember my first game, but I will tell you the story about my son's first game. I have two boys uh, and my older son was in kindergarten in 2019. I took him to his first Nats game. We were walking down Half Street going toward the center field gate. And I said to him, let's get something to eat before we get to our seats. We'll stop at the concession stand first. So what do you want? I could buy you a hot dog or a pizza or chicken tenders and fries, what would you like? And he stopped in his tracks and looked up at me and said, will you buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks? And I said, yes, I will buy you peanuts and Cracker Jacks. That's exactly what I'm going to do. So that's what we did. And that was his first game, Kurt Suzuki homered and he became his favorite player. Uh, and now his little brother uh, is going to go to his first game this Thursday, April 21st, against the D-backs, and I'm excited to see it through his eyes as well. Keep up the good work, guys. Love the podcast. Thanks.
3: Kurt has never had a postseason home run. Here's the one-zero. Swinging a long drive. Left field. He's got one now. Kurt Suzuki gives the Nationals the lead. That one above the Crawford Boxes kurt suzuki's first career postseason home run and the nationals lead the astros three to two here in the seventh inning
0: this is
1: the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat